0: Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
1: Real love is calling. opens up your eyes. Mercy is every sunrise. They sneak in, secretively. I throw this caution out every once in a while. It's important you don't take my word for it you search what scripture says you don't take some TV evangelist word for it you search scriptures to see what the Bible says you don't read a Christian book and just take it at face value you pass it through the grid of God's word we have to make sure that we're testing things because false teachers don't announce themselves they come in secretly they come in, they crept in unnoticed This
0: is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Jude. It's easy to be reminded to watch out for false teachers. But how do you actually test what others are sharing? False teachers sneak in unnoticed. They don't announce themselves. So you can't automatically trust someone with the title of pastor or a friend who claims to have read the Bible cover to cover. Not even a Bible college education guarantees an individual is speaking the truth. As Pastor Gary shares in his message today, you have to measure what others teach by knowing what Scripture says for yourself. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Jude, chapter 1, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
1: God is actively at work, helping us to persevere. And so Jude begins his letter by saying, God is a keeping God in verse one. God is a keeping God in verse 24. These are like bookends to his epistle, but a good reminder to us that God will help us to finish this race. He will help us to finish strong. And then in verse two, the common salutation of of the New Testament writers, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Be multiplied to you. He says, beloved while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. So here, here's where he's going to tell us, hey, this my intent was to write you just a charming letter rejoicing about our common salvation. Now, he doesn't mean common as in cheap, like it's everyday common. He means common in its mutual. He says, I had intended to write to you about our mutual salvation, our common faith, but he says, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now in your Bibles there, contend earnestly is one word in the Greek, and it is the only time this particular Greek word is used in all of the New Testament. And the word is epagonizomei, epagonizomei. And in the, yeah, you try that three times. And in the middle of that word, epagonizomei is where we get our English word, agonize, apagonizo mei. And so the idea is to fight, to agonize, to labor, contend earnestly for the faith. Now, it isn't in the sense like you have to earn it, you know, work for salvation. Salvation's already been gained for you, okay? We receive it through faith. It's a gift from God. It's it's by grace that we saved. But it's the idea that now that we are saved, we're in this for the long haul, so fight for your faith. Stay strong in the Lord. Don't grow weary. Don't get weak. Don't check out. Don't become complacent. Don't become apathetic in your faith. Fight, agonize, labor. Because why? It's important. You fight for what's important. You fight for the things that are valuable. Your faith is valuable. It's supremely valuable. So he's challenging us. Fight. Fight for your faith. Don't allow the influence of evil to overcome you. But fight for the faith and he's going to tell us in a few verses here, examples of people who lost, people who gave in to the evil influence of their day. So he challenges us here, he exhorts us, he said, I, I wanted to write this wonderful letter about our common salvation, but instead I find myself overwhelmed here, I have to exhort you uh, to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Verse 4, for certain men, here's this idea about the false teachers, for certain men have crept in unnoticed. NIV says they've, come, they've secretly slipped in among you. You know, false teachers are not going to say, hi, my name is so-and-so, I'm a false teacher. They sneak in secretively. I throw this caution out every once in a while. It's important. You don't take my word for it. You search what Scripture says. You don't take some TV evangelist's word for it. You search Scriptures to see what the Bible says. You don't read a Christian book and just take it at face value. You pass it through the grid of God's Word. We have to make sure that we're testing things. Because false teachers don't announce themselves. They come in secretly. They come in, they crept in unnoticed. Who, verse 4, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness. A lot of times lewdness we think in terms of sexuality, but it, it just base, basically means a brazen practice. The, the corruption of doctrine is a brazen practice. Could, that's what he means by lewdness. He says, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5, but I want to remind you, and he's going to give us examples here. I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. He's going to give us three examples here. Now, now he's talking here about encouraging believers to contend for the faith and to finish strong. And he's going to give three examples of people who didn't finish well, of people who didn't fight for the faith. Now, he's going to draw on Old Testament examples because that's what he has, the Jewish scriptures. I mean, in the first century, you didn't have the completion of the New Testament. You're still relying on the scripture of the Old Testament. And so the Tanakh, the whole of God's word from Genesis to Malachi. And so he's going to draw on three examples from the Old Testament of those who allowed evil to influence them. And they didn't stand strong in the faith. They didn't stand strong in the Lord. And so the first one that he points out here in verse five, reminding us, though you once knew this, the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. So the first example he gives is the Israelites in the wilderness. And this account, of course, is, is all through the book of Exodus and recounted again in in the book of numbers. And, and it's this whole wilderness wandering thing for 40 years when God had delivered the Jewish slaves out of slavery in Egypt and that by itself was a series of miracles to eventually get Pharaoh reluctantly to let the Hebrew slaves go and God takes them to the promised land and there they are on the border of the promised land and Moses sends in uh, 12 spies and two come back with a good report the others have a bad report And the two that had a good report were Caleb and Joshua. And all the others had a bad report. Oh, we... we there's giants in the land. We can't go in there. They're going to consume us. Uh, I don't know. You know, we've come this far, but you know, we, I don't think that we're going to be victorious and maybe, maybe we made a big mistake and, and they spread fear throughout the whole camp of the Israelites. And before you know it, all along the way, the Israelites have been grumbling and complaining about this and that. And now this was just like the straw that broke the camel's back because now they're like, well, if there are giants in the land, and if this doesn't look like some place that we can take and occupy, then, what are we doing out here in the wilderness? And they start complaining to God. Like, we can't go in there. It would have been better if we'd gone back to Egypt. We would be better off back in Egypt. And so God's like, okay, you want Egypt? Okay, you're, you're, you're right here in the Sinai Peninsula. Why don't you just hang out here for 40 more years? And for 40 years, that entire generation would wander in the Sinai Peninsula until they would eventually die off. And only their children would go into the promised land Plus, Joshua and Caleb, the two spies who had the favorable report because they believed God. Besides Joshua and Caleb, an entire generation of the Israelites would die in the wilderness. Why? Because they did not believe God. And they did not stand for what was right and true. And they allowed evil influence to take over their hearts and their minds. And they ended up dying in the wilderness. And God gave them what they really wanted. We don't want to go in there. Okay, fine. Then you can die out here and I'll take your children into the promised land. And that's exactly what he did. And so Jude draws on that example. He says, hey, remember the Jewish people? They came out of the land of Egypt. They started well, but they didn't finish well. And so they died in the wilderness. Verse 6. This is example number 2. And the angels... Who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So, number two, the second example that Jude gives here is about the angels who rebelled with Satan. Again, they got off to a great start, but they didn't finish well because they allowed the influence of Satan to steal their hearts away from God. And what the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 12, actually, because the Bible is not necessarily in chronological order, and, and some of what we read in the book of Revelation actually predates things and goes back historically, and Revelation 12 talks about how Satan rebelled against God, and that day that he rebelled against God, he led a third of what the Bible calls stars, but it's a euphemism for angels. He led a third of the angels in rebellion with him, in this great coup against God. Now, how many is a third of the angels? We don't know because we don't know how many angels there actually are. But you're talking a lot. And these third, the third of the angels who rebelled with Satan were expelled with him from heaven. Otherwise known today as demons. Satan inspired them to rebel against God with him. And thus they were expelled. But what Jude is telling us here. And there's another story in Luke chapter 8 that backs all this up as well when you compare Scripture with Scripture. What Jude is telling us is that some of the worst of the worst of these demons have been kept in this chains, reserved in everlasting chains, under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Now, in Revelation uh, chapter 12, it speaks about when they rebelled, but Revelation also tells us that there's going to come a time when God will open the lid of this abyss. And these demons will be allowed during the period of the Great Tribulation to come out and to torment people. It is actually by his grace that he has kept the worst of the worst of the demons presently under chains in the abyss. That isn't to say all, the de- all demons are there, because there are plenty of demons who roam in the spirit realm. But the worst of the worst have been kept in the abyss in chains until that day of judgment when God will use them in that period of the tribulation. Now, in Luke chapter 8, there's a story that many of you are familiar with when Jesus goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, to the region of the Gadarenes, to cast out demons from this guy who had been possessed. When Jesus confronts the, the demons in this man... Um, He asks their name and the demon says uh, legion for we are many now a roman legion was six thousand soldiers Were there six thousand demons in this guy? I I don't know one is too many Right Uh, one is one demon in somebody is one too many But the reason you can't necessarily trust a demon is because demons lie So it could have been one demon was like, oh, yeah, we're six thousand. Yeah, I got I got a legion We have six thousand you don't you don't know because they're liars so Jesus then, before he cast the demons out of this guy, they beg Jesus, the demons. This is in Luke chapter 8. It's in verse uh, 31. The demons beg Jesus, please send us into the herd of swine, but don't cast us into the abyss. Because They know the worst of the worst are held in the abyss. We don't want to go where they are. Even the demons don't want some of the bad demons. They're worse demons. We don't want to be with them. We don't hang out with them. So don't cast us please in the abyss. It's interesting. Jesus, in his mercy, even for demons, did not cast them into the abyss, cast them into the herd of swine, which was a very strategic move on Jesus' part because the Jews should not have had pigs anyway. They should not have. These were Hellenistic Jews. These were Jews who were influenced by the Greek culture. They should have been kosher. They should have been, you know, no pork at that time. Now, praise God, Jesus has declared all foods clean, so eat. But in, in these days, you couldn't have pork. You couldn't have pigs. What were the Jews having pigs? So Jesus is like, I, I'm going to kill two birds with one stone. I'm going to deliver this guy from demons, and I'm going to kill the livelihood of these Jews who shouldn't even have pigs. But the abode that they abandoned was heaven. These angels left their abode. They left heaven. Their proper domain, and they were influenced by Satan. And the Lord put these particular demons, the worst of the worst, in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. They started so well, but they didn't finish well. The third example he gives is verse 7. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over, To sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, and IV uses the word perversion, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And so the third example he gives uh, from the book of Genesis, Genesis 18 and 19, is the account of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, most of you are familiar with what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, today, now as I talk about this subject, it is counter to what our culture is saying because our culture has now embraced homosexuality as a, quote, normal lifestyle, as just an alternative lifestyle, but the Bible has never seen it that way. In fact, in the book of Romans, God calls it unnatural. Again, NIV uses the word perversion. New King James here says it's going after strange flesh. This is not the way that God designed relationships to be. He designed a relationship between a man and a woman in a heterosexual relationship. And so Sodom and Gomorrah, God destroys. He destroys them on the basis of their sexual sin. These were people who started out well, but they didn't finish well. And it was uh, offensive to God. And so again, on a subject like this, where our country has legalized same-sex marriage and um, where our culture has, for the most part, embraced it as simply an alternative lifestyle, I have to be able to give grace and truth. And the grace is we we love people who are uh, in same-sex relationships or have same-sex attraction. Uh, The church is welcome to people of All kinds because we all are sinners in need of grace and forgiveness. We also will not shy away from telling the truth because somebody said this to me one time and and it always has stuck with me. They said to me, Gary, one of the highest forms of respect is to tell you the truth. And so I respect you enough to tell you the truth and that God's word has been unwavering on this subject, that homosexuality is a sin but praise God, he can forgive us, deliver us, transform us. In Jude here, he uses this as an example of those who allowed the evil influence of their day to take their hearts captive. All these three examples, again, to say this. Jude is saying, fight for the faith, earnestly contend for the faith, Finish well. Do not allow the evil of your day to influence you. This is what happened with the Israelites. This is what happened with the angels. This is what happened with the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. They allowed the evil of their day to influence them and to turn them away from God. So he gives us those examples. Then in verse eight, he says, likewise, also, these dreamers, here he is talking about these false prophets again, these te- false teachers, they defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet, Verse 9, Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, There in verse 9, Michael is mentioned here as the archangel. The word archangel is never mentioned in the plural. There's not another archangel mentioned in the Bible. This is the only archangel. Some people think Gabriel was an archangel. Gabriel was not an archangel. He was a messenger angel. But Michael is the only archangel mentioned in the Bible. He's mentioned four times, twice in the book of Daniel. Daniel 10, Daniel 12. He's also mentioned in Revelation chapter 12. And then here in Jude, verse 9. So he gets four mentions uh, in all of the Bible. And this is this is a peculiar verse, I will tell you. It's the whole idea of what, what does it mean that Michael the archangel was contending, fighting with the devil over the body of Moses. So this is the little that we know. The Bible says... In Deuteronomy chapter 34, that Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. Don't feel sorry for Moses because it's a beautiful picture, actually, where Moses represents the law. Joshua, his protege, is the one who will lead the people into the promised land. Joshua in Hebrew, it's a contracted form of the the name Yahashua. It's the same name that Jesus was given. It is a picture of how the law can never take you into the promised land. It is only through Jesus that you will get there. Okay, it's a beautiful picture. But God took care of Moses. In Deuteronomy 34, 5 and 6, it says that Moses died and God buried him. So what Jude is telling us, a little bit of insight into what happened there during the time of Moses' death, that apparently Satan wanted to somehow take the body of Moses before God would bury it and mutilate it or or disfigure it in some way to show contempt for Moses and to show contempt for God's people and, and and for God's prophet. And so Michael, the archangel, steps in. So this is a scene that is not recorded anywhere else. Jude is giving us a little insight here. That Michael the archangel steps in and fights with Satan over the body of Moses. But it's interesting here that it, that Jude says, even though Michael is this archangel, he doesn't go around, you know, sticking out his chest and thinking, I'm going to take the devil down. He actually defers and stands behind the name of the Lord and says, the Lord rebuke you. And I can remember before my pastor, Chuck Smith, died several years ago, that he would always caution us as pastors, don't go around just rebuking Satan, rebuking Satan, rebuking Satan. He said, look at how even Michael, the archangel, dared not rebuke Satan to his face, but said, the Lord rebuke you. We have to be careful sometimes. And some people would say, well, wait a minute, you know, Michael doesn't walk in in the same, you know, grace and and power as a redeemed believer. Uh, Um, Okay, I understand in terms of relationship with Christ, I'm never gonna mess with an archangel. I can tell you that much. And and if an archangel, if the archangel dared not dispute with Moses, but instead he said, The Lord rebuke you. And and he invoked the name of the Lord. We we ought to be careful. Don't don't go around rebuking demons under every bush. Just just stand in who Jesus is, and if you need to. Rebuke in the name of the Lord. Say, the Lord rebuke you. But we we better know our place behind the name of the Lord. Verse 10. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves. Talking again about these false teachers. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So now what he's going to do is he's going to give three examples to indict these false teachers, and he's going to compare them in the Old Testament to Old Testament examples. And the first one he says here is like, they've taken the way of Cain. Now, Cain was the firstborn of Adam and Eve. His story is recorded in Genesis chapter 4. The Bible says that Cain tilled the ground. He he was a, a man of the soil. It says that Abel, his younger brother, was a man of the flocks. And when it came time to present offering to the Lord, Abel brought an offering from the flocks, Cain brought an offering from the produce of the land. And God accepted Abel's sacrifice and rejected Cain's. Now there's there's some debate, you know, why did he accept one and, and reject the other? Probably because... Abel is presenting a blood sacrifice. It is an inference to us that God had already prescribed that the way that you get to me following sin, because they've been already expelled out of the Garden of Eden. Man has already sinned. The human race has already been tainted by sin. That the way you approach me is through the sacrifice of an animal. It's a blood sacrifice. And that's what Abel presented, and Cain did not. Cain did not follow God's prescriptive way to get to God.
0: your connection towards your new life Thanks for joining Pastor Gary Hamrick for this study in the book of Jude Pastor Gary has been teaching through this short New Testament letter encouraging you to stand up for the truth of God's Word Jude reminds its listeners that there are people in this world who will try to pass their own theology off as reality These false teachers can lead people away from God but you can know their deception. Spend time in the Word often and get to know your Creator through its text. The more you know, the easier it will be to spot the lies. We're so glad you tuned in today. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Gary, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app to connect and learn more about this ministry. Are you in the Leesburg area? If so, you're welcome to join us this Sunday at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting in person and online. And you can find all the information you need on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. How can we be praying for you? Let us know by calling us at 703-771-1500. That's 703-771-1500. Would you pray for us too? Please keep Pastor Gary and the team at Cornerstone Connection in your prayers as we continue to follow God's leading for this program. Please pray, too, that your fellow listeners would hear the gospel message and respond. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul